Well, a big thanks to Andrew and Afric for the afternoon entertainment. It is Tuesday, November 14th, and you are listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Shelburne's Noel Murray joins us to chat ahead of Sunday's FEI Cup final as Shells and Athlone Town renew their rivalry. We'll have the latest from Stephen Kenny's Ireland squad, and Fergal Brennan will wrap up all the latest news in football from across Europe. Yeah, that's plenty to look forward to and if that wasn't enough we'd be focusing on boxing as well as golf. Grania Walsh reflects on securing back-to-back national title wins as she turns her attention to Olympic qualification and Greg Allen has all the latest news stories from the world of golf. As always, if you want to have your say drop us a text on 51552. Game on on 2FM. Yes, good evening. How are you, Ruby Welsh? I'm great, Shane Dawson. How are you? I'm very well, I'm very well. Uh, we have one news headline, and it is concerning Stephen Kenny's Republic of Ireland squad, uh, to start the show with, and that is the news that Andrew Moran has been called up to Republic of Ireland senior squad due to injury concerns ahead of the Euro 2024 qualifier with Netherlands and friendly with New Zealand. Moran had been set to feature for crucial under-21 qualifiers for Ireland against Norway and Italy. And the injury concerns that I refer to um, are Evan Ferguson, Chidozi Ogbeni, Jamie McGrath and Will Smallbone, um, who there are no official uh, comment on the overall fitness uh, of the squad, but they are doubtful at the moment, Ruby. They're doubtful. If the under-21 qualifiers are crucial... Mm. Good point. I see where you're going with this. I see where you're going with this. Why bring him into a squad in a game that can't exactly be described as crucial? That is a question that only Stephen Kenny can answer, Ruby. I, like I feel, I, I suppose the the environment getting him getting him used to that as well, and perhaps the under twenty ones are are that confident that they have enough firepower amongst a group without Andrew Moore, and that they will be able to overcome the the challenges of Norway and Italy, even though they will be very um, stark uh, challenges. Um, Alan Colley just takes me hundred percent. Moore should be with the twenty ones. Well. I don't know what I'm talking about. At least he does. Five one five five two. If anyone would like to have their say as well, like Alan Carley as well, that's a direct line. It's good to know Alan Carley listens when he's not on as well. That's, that's, that's it's heartening. You. It's heartening. Is he man that he is? Uh, but yeah, no, it is. Uh, it, it is an interesting point and one I would probably uh, tend to agree with yourself, Ruby. Have you not covered the right line to Stephen Kenny? No, uh, not at the moment. No, not at the moment. Five one five five two. If you're listening, Stephen Kenny or anyone in the Irish squad. Um, but yeah, Stephen was up in media duty, so uh, there will be uh, updates um, throughout the course of the week in the lead up to that uh, match against uh, Netherlands uh, on Saturday as well, and that friendly against uh, New Zealand. Um, let's stay with soccer, Ruby, or Association of Football, as a wise man once said, and welcome Fergal Brennan into the conversation because we are going to chat uh, European football as we do uh, of a Tuesday night. We might even come full circle and end up and chatting about the Euro 2024 playoff uh, picture. Uh, but Fergal Brennan. Let us begin in sunny Spain and La Liga because Girona are still leading the way at the top of La Liga. Many people thought they might falter at this stage and it would be just the, the usual suspects up there. Um, mm. But they're still going strong. They are indeed absolutely flying. And they're not doing it in the kind of slightly boring way that normally when a team comes from nowhere to, to challenge the big boys. They've won more games than, than Barcelona or Real Madrid, 11 so far this season, and they've scored more goals, 31. And when you think of the firepower that Barcelona and Real Madrid both have and you know, the deep pockets that they have to, to bring in players, to boost their squads and add international superstars, it's it's very impressive. Um, 
obviously the, the cliches are, are flying around about titles are decided in the second half of the season and January, February, after the winter break, that will be the, the big test for them. But every time there's been a tricky game for them, they've they've passed that test. They came from behind against Rayo Bayekano at the weekend to win away from home against the team that probably at the start of the season you'd be expecting to maybe finish above them. Um, it has been really, really impressive. And it's it's one of them stories that the massive likelihood is that it will kind of filter out as the season goes by. But one of the big jump-out stats is they've never picked up more than 51 points in a La Liga season. Now, they've only played in La Liga three times. They've already got 34 and we're not even halfway through the season. So if you compare that to where they've been previously, it's been absolutely amazing. Fergal, this could be a very unfair question. Um, listening to the lads on the radio <laughs> on this show last night, they both maintained Stephen Kelly and Alan Cawley that Spurs didn't have a big, big enough squad. Squad Newcastle didn't have a big enough squad. Um, kind of bright and the same. Is that where Girona will fall as well? Quite possibly, yeah. Um, and, and just looking at some of the names that are, that are involved in the squad, or or certainly that have played the majority of the games, then they're not maybe leaping out at you as names that you would know from following the league of football but that could also possibly play into their hands um, they, they obviously don't have any European football the Copa del Rey there's less rounds uh, involved in that than there would be in the FA Cup or there's, there's no league cup in Spain so it's generally speaking they'll be playing every weekend and that's all they have to focus on I mean, obviously, it's not a direct comparison to a Spurs because even with their so-called lack of depth, the players that they can call on, a lot of them are still recognised internationals. That's not the case with with Girona so far. And kind of anyone who's a fan of a bit of a throwback, the the Ukrainian international Artem Dubovnik, he's their main man. He's a he's a big fella that they like to get the ball into the box to, and he's, he's scoring goals. He's got seven in nine starts so far this season. I think ultimately they they will get squeezed quite a bit as as the campaign goes on. But this is this is a real example of a team coming from nowhere. This isn't a team that was even expected to probably finish in the running for Europe and almost at the halfway stage in the season they're top of the league It is great to see but obviously Real Madrid Atletico and Barcelona all signed off for the international break with weekend wins Yeah uh, and, and that's an example of, of what is actually kind of snapping at the heels of, of Girona if, if this was a case where the big boys were all struggling like a, a Leicester when they won the league and, and all the other teams that you would expect to be in the shake-up just couldn't get it together and challenged them and they just stayed the course and, and won the league Real, Barcelona, Atletico are still there or thereabouts. They're still winning games. And that's probably what will happen. When when Girona eventually stumble and maybe lose one or two, then bang, you'd imagine. Particularly Real will we'll just kind of just power on and, and get past them. But as it stands, they are having to chase a team that they're not used to, to chasing. And particularly with Real Madrid, so much of what's been good about them this season has been Jude Bellingham. Rodrigo and Vinicius got two goals each at the weekend and Rodrigo did his post-match interview and said that we're back. This is the the two players that the fans want to see. They want to see two Brazilians scoring goals and, and tearing teams to bits and they can do that. But at the moment, everything is is on, if you'll excuse the pun, because I know he's got a shoulder injury, everything is on Jude Bellingham's shoulders at the moment. Uh, maybe that's what's called the, caused the injury. They need to step up. They, they, need to, they need to start pushing into that position of double figures in the league, minimum, probably 20 plus, at least one of them, if Real Madrid want to fight across all, four, all three fronts, I should say. Um, OK, well, hopefully Girona stay, stay strong in La Liga because it's nice to see... Um, a different name at the top of mm. league tables. Um, in the Bundesliga, Bayer Leverkusen were, I suppose, they were there, thereabouts when you know Mikael Balak and 
few other players were there, but now they've kind of been revitalised under Xabi Alonso. They have indeed, and this is, I wouldn't say there's an exact similarity with, with Girona because Leverkusen would be in the shake-up for European places, they are in the Europa Conference League this season, but every year we, we kind of look at German football and think, can someone get close to Bayern Munich, can, can they at least make it competitive, and last season Dortmund took it all the way to the final day and then they managed to mess it up and, and Bayern just kind of scraped over the line and defended the title. Leverkusen, it's a different proposition and Javi Alonso is really doing a lot to boost his um, profile. I think he'll be the next manager that the real heavyweights will be looking for this summer, potentially a return to Real Madrid, who, who obviously he played for. And this is maybe, it's not as much of a kind of fairy tale story as, as Girona, although they're not completely... Um, without help from the big boys. We know that they're owned by the City Football Group. But I just think anybody putting a challenge to Bayern Munich that can be sustained, that can be a threat, is definitely something to keep an eye on. And, and Jabby Alonso really is carving out a reputation as arguably the best or one of the best young managers outside of the Premier League. I admittedly wasn't aware they were part of the City Group. That has... That's really that's your own, that's your own, yeah, yeah. So yeah that's, that's really disappointed me because I was yeah, really yeah. hoping for the romantic underdog story there. Apologies. No, I, I, a text <laughs> actually just came in as well to to uh, pay, put my attention to it as well. But that's unfortunate. Um, Correct. Do Leverkusen have the staying power then that perhaps Girona won't? I think they've got again. We go back to squad depth and names that are involved in in the squad. Their squad would have a higher caliber of players. They've got some really talented players that um, I think fans are going to become more and more aware of. But they do have European football. They've got Thursday nights, which can become difficult. So far, they've managed it. Um, but we're looking at a situation when if they qualify for the knockout stages, then in February, when Bayern, because of the experience, and because of the quality that they've got, can just zone in on trying to defend the title, then that will be a big question mark for, for Alonso and Leverkusen. If they can get a couple of bodies in in January, that will obviously help. Um, but it's the question every season. And, and normally eight or nine times out of ten it's Dortmund but they on the back of Bellingham leaving are, are struggling they've, they've got themselves back on the horse in the Champions League and I think they're in a good position to make the last 16 but ultimately <laughs> as unromantic as it sounds the big boys do tend to win when it really comes to the crunch it's it's very early to be making a to be making a title call Leverkusen to be in a stronger position than than Girona in Spain I would say but it, it a lot of it depends on Alonso managing to maintain this for, for a full season and Bayern Munich have Harry Kane, 17 goals and 21 games, 17 league goals, 21 overall. Or 21 overall, he could even beat Lewandowski's record in Bayern, could he? Yeah, he's he's flying. Uh, Lewandowski's record: 41 Bundesliga goals uh, in a season that broke Gerd Muller's one from I think it was 1970 or 1971. Um, and, and Kane's been superb for them since he's gone there. Um, interestingly, I think for him the bigger tests are still to come because he, he moved there to to win trophies. They've got, I think, normally they've got a, probably a 90% chance of winning the Bundesliga. But he knows, Tuchel knows, Bayern Munich know that they want the Champions League. And that, that's what I'm really interested to see with Kane. In February, the last 16, the quarterfinals, will he score the goals that they need in the way that Benzema has previously been able to do for Madrid, Haaland does for City. Will he be able to do that in those games for Munich? I think he will, but it'll be very interesting to see that on paper he can do it will he be able to do it when he really really has to um okay that is uh definitely one to continue to follow uh, not much going on in france and italy i suppose enrique telling off mbappe ozzy has <laughs> uh, admitted he rejected the move to saudi arabia however napoli 
Rudy Garcia is only in the door, not too long, and he might be on the way out. Uh, well, he's he's gone. Uh, oh, he's gone. Effectively, they've confirmed. Yeah, they confirmed this afternoon. Walter Mazzari has come in on a contract until the end of the season. Um, it, it's an odd situation at Napoli because the 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 owner or the president, I should say, De Laurentiis, kind of runs quite a wild setup um, in the summer when they obviously won the title and Spalletti said that he he was intending to leave and there was a lot of rumours that that was to put a bit of pressure to ensure there was transfer funds that were freed up. He effectively said you can go, even though he'd won them their first title in, in decades. Obviously. He He's then taken up the Italian job. And I think this is a situation in Napoli where they've not started the season great, um, particularly in terms of recent form. They've not been winning many games. And because he is quite a knee-jerk individual when it comes to getting rid of managers or making quite big changes, that's what they've done here. They want to ensure that they get back into the title race and that they make the Champions League knockouts. Mazzari's viewed as a bit more of a solid operator. Um, he won the Coppa Italia with Napoli during a previous spell and he's relatively well viewed amongst the fans. He's seen as quite a steady person because he's so experienced. Uh, won't be as exciting as, as Garcia or certainly not as Spalletti. Um, and in terms of getting back into the title race, that is very difficult. Milan and Inter and, and Juventus have, have looked much better so far this season. But I think this is an example of why Napoli probably can never win back-to-back major titles because De Laurentiis runs the club in this way that he, he gets very itchy feet. If he's not happy with something, he tends to make a big call, he doesn't think about it and, and he shifts a manager out or a star player out and then the club have to rebuild. Uh, final one in Italy, Cesc Fabregas is the new manager of Como and that is newsworthy because there's Irish interest there. There is. Uh, obviously, normally you wouldn't be kind of delving into Serie B, but he's taken over at Como, uh, his first managerial job. But the, the Irish angle that you mentioned is, of course, Liam Kerrigan, who's been playing his trade there since he, he went at the start of last season from, from UCD. Uh, and this will be interesting for, for his development. Um, he's obviously highly rated. He's an underage international for Ireland. And you'd struggle to think of a, a Premier League midfielder that would be a better example for him to follow. I don't know how involved Fabregas will be in training, but I'm sure there's a few tricks that he can teach him. Um, and and it would be interesting for Fabregas. We mentioned Alonso there before, Mikel Arteta at Arsenal. There's there's a running theme across Europe at the moment of former Spanish midfielders making a real name for themselves in, in management. And you would look at Fabregas and say he's you would think he's got the tools to do it. Uh, and, it and it's definitely one to keep an eye on, certainly in the, in the next few weeks. By this time next week, Fergal, we will know who has qualified for Euro 2020-2024, but there are some big games to be played between now and then. Scotland are obviously qualified, as are England, Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland have no chance, but Wales, they have a couple of big games ahead of them. They do, um, and interestingly, because of the kind of complex playoff picture, it's probably just going to be a direct shootout between themselves and Croatia to get that other automatic spot in the group. I think going into these fixtures, they have got a slight upper hand, but difficult trip to Armenia first. Then they've got Turkey at home. Um, Turkey, I think, are already home and dry, or they're certainly almost there, there or thereabouts. They just need to hold the nerve. Uh, I know that sounds very straightforward, but they, they really can't afford a slip because Croatia would be absolutely expecting to qualify automatically. You think of how they've done in recent major tournaments in the World Cup and in the European Championships, but, but Wales have got the edge on them going into these games. If they can just hold it for those two matches, they may well need to win both of them because they're level with Croatia as it stands. They're, they're only in front of them on head-to-head points. That's the that's the tiebreaker for these qualifiers. It's not goal difference, it's, it's head-to-head. Winning away in Armenia and then in Cardiff is a big ask 
but I think they're going to have to do that if they want to avoid dropping down into the playoffs. Well, hopefully they can get there to give us some more interest, more interesting games to watch. Fergal Brennan, thanks a million. We have a quick break to take. We'll be back with boxing. Game on. Boxing. Now, it is time to chat boxing in the company of Offaly boxer Grania Walsh, who retained her 66kg national elite title on Saturday night. Grania defeated Christina Desmond in the 2024 final in the National Boxing uh, Stadium on a unanimous verdict. So I'm delighted to say that Grania joins us now. Thank you uh, very much for taking the call. Grania, how are you? Are you still basking in the glory of the victory? I'm good, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, oh, the feeling never gets old, I have to say. So, uh yeah, I'm heading for a bit of dinner now this evening as well, so can't can't get any better than that. <laughs> Sixty six, that was your push feeling, Granny, is it? Uh, well, it's not really a push to be honest with you. Like I just, I'm obviously when I'm training, I'm disciplined and stuff, and I eat the right stuff. But then when I get a little week off, I like to indulge as well. So you know, life is all about balance. What's splashing out for Granny Walsh then? Well, I'm actually waiting to go into Mad Egg. <laughs> that's where I'm, that's where tonight's choice is, anyway. So. <laughs> I know, I'll have a few days where I'll, where I'll have a, a few nice bits that I've been craving over the last few weeks and then it's straight back into to healthy eating. It's not really dieting, it's more a lifestyle thing that I have uh, at the minute. I, I'm very comfortable with the weight, thank God, and it's not too strenuous for me. Well, the little treats in life, but obviously winning by a verdict of 5 to nil over Christina Desmond or 5-0, that's a bit of a treat as well. Oh, definitely, yeah. No, I couldn't get any better, really. Um Delighted with how everything went. I, I think the fight actually went exactly how I had visualised it and or stuck to my game plan and it actually went exactly as I anticipated. So, yeah, obviously over the moon um, to ha- have retained my title, but the job is never done. So I'm just after, you know, putting another another stamp down to retain my title and hopefully this time I'll get going to the, the Olympic qualifier and uh, hopefully it'll see me in Paris next year. Yeah, just to kind of put a bit of context on that, I suppose. So, um, obviously, you defeated Amy Broadhurst uh, in last year's final, albeit it was in January of, of this year, but the 2023 final. Um, but Amy w- was chosen as Ireland's female representative in the Olympic qualifying tournament, the, the Europeans. Um, that didn't uh, didn't go successfully for, for Amy, to be fair now. But this is a huge step um, for your career towards Olympic qualification. But even with this, like nothing's guaranteed in this weight division with so, so much competition. Exactly. And, and to be honest with you, all the weight divisions that aren't already qualified for, there's really like a serious depth of talent in all of them. So the elite championships used to be a thing that, you know, if you won that, you were the number one. But nowadays you know you have to we're in the high performance as well and there's assessments and there's a lot of different things they're watching everything we do so uh, like you said yourself nothing is ever guaranteed so that's just one piece of the puzzle now and as I said earlier I'll have my week off and then I'll be straight back to the drawing board and focusing on what's next in order to get me picked to go to the next Olympic qualifier and what do you think is next I mean for most people looking in to win back-to-back national elite championships it looks you look the obvious choice but for you what is the next step to make sure that, that it is you? Well, all I can do is is do what's in my control, really. Like, it, it obviously will come down to the high performance and, and the coaches, but there's usually an assessment process. I'm not sure when or when that's starting or anything, but I suppose we'll all find out in or around the same time, and that's kind of like spars and stuff behind closed doors that are, um, co- that are refereed and all that sort of stuff. So it's... 
yeah, it's nothing as ever as it seems in boxing, I suppose. But yeah, I, I feel like I'm making it harder and harder for the coaches not to pick me, if that's a good way of putting it. So uh, yeah, I'm not going down without a fight and I'm still hanging in here. <laughs> How much did that decision for, for Amy to go to the Europeans and, and even kind of the difficulty on, on missing out in Tokyo for, for you personally, how much has that driven you on and even made you more mentally resilient and, and indeed just an all-round better fighter? Yeah, I suppose looking back to Tokyo, it was like I was on that path because everyone was on it and like I was kind of thinking, oh yeah, like I'm going to be preparing for Tokyo. But I never really understood what it meant at that point. I hadn't gone through any major like setbacks or anything. Whereas since January of 2020, I had three years of back-to-back hand injuries. I had five hand injuries with four operations on my right thumb and was very nearly retired. So I think all of them setbacks and then as well as not getting picked and whatever else you have, they've all just given me unbelievable resilience and to be able to come back from them all, I know that I have that over anybody. I know that I can come back from anything and like you said about not getting picked and stuff, obviously it's not nice when I didn't get picked and I felt like I did everything asked of me but again, it's not in, it wasn't in my control. All I can do is is work harder and be better. Now, obviously, I had a bit of a whinge over the summer and, and felt very sorry for myself. But thankfully for me, I have another opportunity and um, the door is still well and truly open for me to, to avail of that. So hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully this time now I get picked and there'll be no one denying me. So the rest is up to me. Having a moan is only human, but dealing with injury after injury and comeback after comeback and it not going your way, what has that taught you? Well, I, I was getting very sick of hearing the phrase, oh, you know, everything will work out and like everything happens for a reason. I was like, right, after twice, after two or three times, I was like, right, I'm getting really sick of listening to this kind of positivity coming from other people because obviously I was just feeling like I have no luck at all. And in sport, in life, in everything, you need a certain amount of luck. But I wouldn't undo any of it, to be honest, because the lessons it's taught me and the you know, about the resilience and everything. Just I, I wouldn't have learned that in 10, in 10 lifetimes. So I have to say it has all stood, stood me, you know, in really good stead for what's to come. And I'm a different person because of it, thank God. So, yeah, I have a, a mental advantage over anyone for sure. And then I'm, I'm training really hard as well. And I could have easily given up two or three years ago. But the fact that I'm still here and I want it 10 times more now. So I can understand, I get the people trying to feed you positivity, but ultimately you have to find positivity somewhere yourself to keep going. Where did you find it or did you find positivity? Um, Well, to be honest, I have really, really great people around me. Like I have an amazing family who are always so supportive and positive and great friends and, you know, extended family and everything. So I'm very lucky to have great people around me. And that did keep me going throughout the whole thing. And then... My coach as well, Dima, he was one of the high-performance coaches, but he was also my club coach for 11 years. He kept me going because he invested 11 years of, you know, extreme time and effort into my career. And I didn't want to give up for him either because he had put in every bit as much effort as I had. So he was a major reason why I didn't give up either. Um, But yeah, just it's kind of remembering why you started in the first place. Now, obviously... I'm not going to lie and say that when I first put on a pair of boxing gloves, I wanted to be an Olympic champion. I didn't have a clue about the Olympics at that point. It wasn't even an opportunity. There was no opportunities for women um, when I started boxing. So it's kind of something that just fell 
into my path, the the better I got and the more I progressed in my career. But um, as I said earlier about not having any setbacks before Tokyo, I've had my fair share between now and then. And I fully understand the significance of becoming an Olympian and what it takes, you know, in terms of coming back from setbacks and injuries and stuff. But yeah, I, as I said, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for the world. Would getting that selection to go to an Olympic qualifier and ultimately qualifying for an Olympics, what would that mean? Satisfaction, achievement, a lifetime goal, pride, what would it mean to you? It's a, it's a really hard question to answer, actually. Like, I know, that's why I asked it. I was wondering, would you have an answer? <laughs> it's very hard to answer, and it seems like an obvious one, but like, you know, it's what I've been working for for so many years, but it's... As well, I'm I'm already proud of the fact that I've come back from everything that's happened to me, and and people always get fat, you know infatuated with like I'll be happy when, and like oh if I become an Olympian that's when I'll be happy. Like I won't lie, I'm happy now, and I love the journey, and and I think that's a major part of actually of of a sport and career is enjoying every step of the journey because you kind of wish all of the present time away in terms of all the training and all the things that you need to get to where you want to get it. But then when people, you know, achieve the Olympic, they get to the Olympics and everything, and then they're like, okay, now what? You kind of don't have anything to chase. So the chase is the really enjoyable part. And yeah, it's hard and there's pressure all the time. But I know when I'm 40 or whatever, I'll be looking back thinking, God, I'd love to be back in that position. So now that I am, I'm 28 and I'm fit and healthy and injury-free, thank God, I'm just trying to enjoy every step of it. And obviously... I want to get to Tokyo or get to Paris and that that is the main goal but I'm just trying to enjoy every step of the journey as well because that's a really important part that people forget. Given the setbacks you've had and and the the mindset that you're in now is this elite title that like the national championship is is this the win you appreciate the most? I think it's this year in fairness that I've had 10 fights this year and I had in the last three years I had two fights and in one of them I got injured so I've just loved the activity I've had this year and yeah, winning two elite titles in the one year and beating, you know, quality operators on the way. It's really been an amazing year for me and it's, I've had great momentum, which brings me into 2024 full of confidence and everything um, that I'll be able to achieve my dreams next year. But yeah, I, I was a very much a, a mental victory against Christina as well because we're great friends and we go back years and we've always sparred and we fought on two occasions before, a couple of years ago, before I got injured and all, and she has beaten me twice. So that was a major thing for me to just get over that hurdle and uh, and get the victory at the weekend. But yeah, again, to just be named as the, the number 166 in the country is amazing for me. Crony, it sounds like you've learned to live through the rough and you're just enjoying the smooth. That's exactly it. You have to take the rough and tumble of life. But yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm just all the injuries and all the setbacks and everything I had, not getting picked, being able to come back from all them has just given me such confidence that nothing will actually break me. Whereas before I didn't understand what setbacks were or what resilience even meant. Whereas now I'm probably more equipped to talk about it than, than most. So uh, yeah, I feel like that really gives me a, an advantage over a lot of people. I know the competition that you have in, in this weight division brings with it many obstacles, but the fact that we have talented boxers like yourself, Lisa O'Rourke, Christina Desmond, uh, of course, who you mentioned, and indeed Amy Broadhurst, is that a positive thing for you in terms of it develops you, it brings you to new levels nationally before you even look at Olympic qualification? 
Oh, definitely. I was literally only talking about this yesterday. Um, you know, when Katie Taylor was going to all these tournaments and stuff, there was no one on the Irish scene. Like, obviously, Kelly Harrington, but she was at a different weight division at the time. But Katie was the only one at 60 kilos that was going anywhere for Ireland. And now, when you look at 10, 12 years later, you have four or five world Olympic, you know, elite, elite athletes in every weight division. So it just shows the pool of talent we have in Ireland. And I personally much rather having all the competition. I, I remember four or five years ago, I was the number one in my division and I was being sent to every tournament and never any assessments, no question of was I getting to go here, there and everywhere. And I didn't appreciate any of it. It was all just handed to me and I was getting going to everything. Whereas now, getting out of Ireland can be the hardest thing. Like sometimes people say to get picked in the 66 kg division to go to the Olympic qualifiers can nearly be harder than actually qualifying. So I, I definitely think it, it brings us all on. It brings the best out in all of us because every training session you have something to prove and every spar you have the same nerves as you do, as I did on Saturday night against Christina because there's always something. If you slip up once, then you start to have those negative thoughts and you think someone is, is getting ahead of you. So I definitely think having that healthy competition is really good for athletes and, and brings the best out in all of us. Well, it sounds like... The 66 kg weight division is in a very healthy place <laughs> in Irish women's boxing. I most certainly hope you get your chance to show the world, Grania. Thanks a million for taking our call and well done at the weekend. Thanks a million, lads. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Game on. Football. Now, this Sunday sees Shelburne and Athlone Town compete in this year's FAI Cup final. A repeat, of course, of last year's final, uh, which Shelburne uh, were victorious. And I'm delighted to say that one of those victorious players, Noel Murray, joins us on the line now. Look ahead to Sunday. Noel, how's the form? The form is good. Um, starting to get excited now about the Cup final, the last game of the season also. Last game of the season... Uh, and and for yourselves, there was a bit of drama at the weekend, and I kind of ironically, I suppose, it was your opponents at loan that that did you a favour, scored last minute equaliser against Rovers, uh, which saw you finish second in the league table uh, ahead of the the final match now, the the cup final against that loan. So, do you view it as second in the table? That's a decent finish. You're looking to continue the momentum into the cup final, or is it a case of? you're bitterly disappointed with not winning the league and it's a kind of case of you need to prove yourselves more in the cup final. Kind of a bit of both when you, you put it that way. Like, obviously, coming second or third or fourth in the league is is not winning it. It's not getting what you set out to do. So, with any chance of a bit of silver, we're still being available. That's obviously the next option for us. That's, our, that's what we have in sight now is to go on and win the cup and finish the season successful as take second place we were happy enough with that and hopefully be cup winners come Sunday How has preparation gone and and is it a case of upping the levels now and I asked that because I interviewed your captain Pearl Slattery this morning and uh, she said to me um, on record now that she's a busted lip because training is becoming so intense <laughs> Yeah I actually seen that that happened last night Yeah look the preparations are they're really gearing us up like they're like they're getting us really ready for for Sunday, so they have their training session set out, and I just think the the standard of training has stepped up a notch the last uh, couple of weeks. I think it's obviously because people are fighting for the position, and it's a big thing to do now. Like coming up to the cup final, there's still eleven 
players to be able to be chosen to start a game. And I think everyone's trying to make a mark now. That's why I think Pearl ended up with the busted lip because training's getting a bit more physical now and people knowing that they're looking to pick the strongest 11 for Sunday. Getting feisty. How many sessions have you left, Noel? I mean, you're coming off the back of a league season. You're hardly going to get any fitter. So how much how much work have you left? Yeah, we've literally got tomorrow night. So we train Wednesday night. And we usually train on a Friday, but we're actually going to train Saturday morning instead. So we've Wednesday and Saturday. So we've two sessions to go before the cup final on Sunday. Saturday morning. And I think that'll be more just to down to shape and set pieces and how we'll play when we're attacking. And I think it's just more so to do that to finish us off and get us ready for Sunday. So will you have an idea on Saturday morning then whether who's playing and who's not playing? Yeah, usually kind of gives off the starting team and even usually like every other week say on a Friday night we would have trained it usually kind of gives you the base of the team that will be starting on the Saturday so yeah so hopefully on Saturday we'll all kind of know and people will, the nerves will probably be there for some people and they won't be there for other people and that we'll be just ready to go when Sunday comes So it will be the final Shelburne team that Noel King selects because he is departing the club at the end of the season after the cup final. And and that was an announcement that was made, you know, a couple of weeks ago. So how much of a distraction or how has that affected you and the group knowing that your manager's not going to be here next year? Noel kind of started to pull us all singly and train in one of the mornings and told us about it before it was actually announced to the public and stuff. And my actual response to him was, why now and not in two weeks time when everything is completely done and according to him he said it was out of his control as well it was what the club have decided to do so he just wanted to kind of tell us before we seen it online putting that aside we still have a trophy to win so I think we've all kind of put it into the back of our minds for now I think it might come back and surface more after Sunday maybe but I think the main thing on everyone's mind now including himself is to go and win a cup on Sunday I noticed on Sunday morning as I was flicking through, came up in a Google ad actually, the lads at the FAI Cup final in spanking new suits, all all dolled out. Have the ladies been treated the very same? I'm assuming they have. Um, last year we we had talked about it, and obviously with the the men's always as a tradition to the men, they've always went and done that and kind of looks kind of slick on the day. So the option was there for the girls to do it and. Uh, we decided to do it so it's it'll be interesting to see us all together on Sunday it, It's been an interesting couple of weeks for, for Shelburne as a whole a change in majority shareholders so there's kind of a new ownership there with, with the Turkish investment stepping away Mickey O'Rourke now is the, is the primary lead at the club obviously the men's team have followed in the women's team's footsteps by, by qualifying for Europe something that you, you use have uh, achieved for the last two years it's been 18 years since the men's team have been there but does that feel-good factor rub off? And, and also, are the supports in place that the women's team deserve and, and need f- for them to continue to flourish? Yeah, definitely. Look, I think it was a great day for the club on Sunday. This is, I think all Shells fans were in the Aviva chair and pats on to go on and do it for the success of the Shells men's team. But I think when it does, when we do qualify for Europe and stuff I think we're treated exactly the way we should be and I think it's the same for the men and the women when you do qualify 
it is interesting, I suppose, and hopefully it, it does bring with it more more success under under kind of the one um, one name of, of the club. Um, Noel, I, w- I want to pick apart your history with the FAI Cup because I, like I don't know this for a re- for a fact now, but you must be one of the most successful players in the competition. Like, are you aware of of, of the the amount of times you've been in the final? Yeah, but only <laughs> since today. <laughs> since today. So from what I'm aware of, this is actually my 10th cup final. Yeah, so you've won six. I've won it six times, yeah, yeah and I've I've lost it three times. So this is my 10th cup final this year, yeah. What, what is it about the competition that, <laughs> about Noel Murray and the FEI Cup? I, I don't, I don't even know. Someone, I was only speaking to somebody earlier and they actually told me that and I, I was like, oh, that many years showing me age there playing in so many years but no I don't know like it's the last the last game of the season and I think I don't think you can beat cup final day it's it's just a great day for to be involved in especially with all the crowd coming your club your family and your friends and all and it just must be a great day yeah we're just really looking forward to playing in it again this year Are your memories as strong of the six you won or the three you lost? Probably the ones that I lost because I think I can tell you the teams that beat us in it. But yeah, I probably can't remember the six, the finalists that I probably won it against. But look, <laughs> it's the it's same in every sport, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's the same in everything. You always remember the worst thing, but I do remember some of the good times. I think we've beaten like I think we beat P Mount in it. I think that was in Daily Mount. I was thinking of some of the games back after I heard how many times I played in the cup final. I was listening, I was thinking back today to who we played against and where we played and I was kind of like, God, I've played in it so many times. Three with Rahini. Doesn't team include Katie McCabe, no? Um, yeah, Katie would have been there, yeah. That was, Even that Catherine's team had a couple of internationals, even an Irish cricketer, I think Mary Walder and Hannah Tyrrell was involved. Mary Walder yeah. played there and Hannah Tyrrell played there with me there as well, yeah. That's, that's... I think they went... Well, Kim Flood, she went on and played rugby as well, I, I think. It's it's an amazing pathway. So so one cup with Catherine's, three with Rohini, as, as uh, Ruby mentioned, and two with Shells, and then one loss with Rohini and, and, and two defeats with, with Shelburne as well. Do you appreciate them more and do you kind of soak it in a bit more and now you're one of the more experienced players among the group? Yeah, someone was only asking me during the week, was I nervous about Sunday? And I kind of think I'm at that stage where I wouldn't, be nervous for a cup final now because I've played in so many and I've such a like such a big experience playing in it. So yeah, it's just where a lot of the younger girls off the team are kind of thinking about how nervous they're going to be on Sunday, and I'm kind of just being like, it's just an it's, it's kind of just another game to me. But it's obviously just, there is a prize at the end of the day. So when you look at this form wise, you played at Lone Town twice this year. You beat them two one at home. You beat them one nil away last May. Do you go in there thinking? we have the measure of these providing we play our game? No, no. And I was, I literally had this conversation earlier on with someone because I never reflect back on the games that we have played against each other during that season because cup final days are completely different. I think it's about the team that shows up and performs on the day. You've heard of many a stories, many, all the crazy football stories come from cup games of lower league teams beating top teams and stuff and it's always been on a cup day I think it's just literally who shows up on the day and some teams can show up and dominate the game and lose it's it's cup days can be crazy Final question what would it mean for you personally to win back-to-back FEI Cup titles with Chelsea? Yeah I think as anybody would say we we will set out to win it and it'll just be an honour to win it again and with the group of girls 
obviously losing the league and then still having some sort of joy at the end of the season, lifting the cup on Sunday. So, yeah, it'd be a real honour to lift it again and especially with some of the players that I've already done it with and then there's some there that I haven't done it with yet. So hopefully Sunday we'll, uh, we'll be on the happy side of it. Will be an interesting uh, contest, and hopefully for Shelburne fans, uh, I'm sure they'll be wishing you well uh, come Sunday. Uh, so, Noel Murray, for now, thank you very much uh, for taking the call. Uh, we will be continuing our build up uh, to the FEI Cup final uh, as the week continues. We'll be hearing from the Athlone Town camp as well. But for now, Noel, thank you. Game on. Golf. No, you're very welcome back to the final part of Game On because Greg Allen is here to chat golf. Um, let us start with Mr. Rory McElroy, Greg, because he has um, said some pretty significant things today in general, I suppose, about the state of negotiations between the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and indeed the backers of the Live Golf, uh, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia, because let's be honest, there hasn't been that much positivity around it all, has there? <laughs> no, no, it's actually funny. One of the things I'm often asked is, you know, why is Rory always saying this? Why is he always opening his mouth about things about this, that and the other? It's because he's put forward in press conferences and he's just answering questions. And in this case, he has not been around for six weeks. He's taken a six-week break since the Ryder Cup and he has turned up uh, to honour his commitment to the DP World Tour, which mm. is to play in their end-of-season Tour Championship. One of the reasons he he loves this tournament is the golf course sets up so well for him. It's a 7,600-yard course, favours long hitters, and it also just shapes well for the way that he drives the ball, which is, of course, his biggest asset in his game but ahead of the actual playing of the tournament uh, starting on Thursday he sits down for a 15 minute press conference which he did today and inevitably he was asked about uh, the state of negotiations between uh, the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia uh, which obviously is the backer of Live Golf mm. and also the PGA Tour and to some degree the DP World Tour who are at the other side of the, of the negotiation table. Now over the last what it's been 7th of June when the framework agreement was so enthusiastically you know brought to, to bear and not so enthusiastically by, by Rory because I think he felt he was a bit blindsided by the way the negotiation for that agreement was done somewhat behind his back in fact completely behind his back to be honest he was only informed about it a couple of hours before they made the announcement and the announcement was made from both sides with great enthusiasm and gusto but what's it been followed up by something of a vacuum mm. really very very little news has emerged about how those negotiations are going and just about uh, a week no two or three weeks ago Davis Love who's a veteran of five different occasions when he's been on the PGA Tour policy board he said that he saw there was pretty much zero chance of there being an agreement by the stipulated deadline, self-imposed deadline of the 31st of December. But today, Rory McIlroy gave a different spin to this. And he indicated that, you know, it's more a case of these negotiations having to be kept under wraps and as confidential as possible. I wouldn't think so. I think if you were in the middle of it, you would see that there's a, there's a path forward. Um, it's just that no one on the outside has any details, right? You know? List lips, sink ships. So, you know, we're trying to keep it tight within the walls. And, um, you know, I'm sure when there's there's news to tell, it will it will be told. How important is it for you that the kind of the wider political situation around the framework equipment gets wrapped up and doesn't drag deep into 2024? Because I think most of the chats guess that this December 31st deadline is looking ambitious at this point. Yeah, I would... I would say that's right. I think getting something done sooner rather than later, I think, is a is a good thing. 
even if we get a deal done, it doesn't mean that it's actually going to happen. That that's up to the United States government at that point, and whether the Department of Justice think that it's the right thing to do, or whether it's anti-competitive or, or whatever. So um, even if a deal does get done, it's not a sure thing. So uh, yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. But the faster that it gets rectified, I, I think the the better for for everyone. Craig, that's probably the most political answer I've ever heard. Rory McIlroy gave anything. He answered the question and basically said nothing. Yeah, but uh, you know, and I think what he's is doing is he's honouring the process uh, rather than trying to to jump the gun and give us an indication of, of what's going on in the process. And that's the whole point of the answer. The whole point of the answer is to indicate that jumping the gun on giving us an indication of how the process is going could just perhaps you know undermine. The process, which I think is probably fairly difficult to find a way of amalgamating two extremely different products. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've been speaking to a lot of people who know a lot more about this than I do, or at least I think they do, and they don't know a whole lot about how it's going to pan out. And among those are players who are really well connected. Nobody knows how this is going to pan out because of the fact that they are you know, how do you bring together a live product, uh, a PGA Tour product, and bring it together in this new entity, uh, the new co, as they call it, uh, which is going to be a for-profit organisation, whereas the PGA Tour is a not-for-profit organisation. It's all very detailed. And Rory's got a very good brain about this. You know, he's somebody who has educated himself about all these matters since he was first placed on the policy board about three years ago. So... If he's not saying anything, it's because he's got a reason not to say anything. And I think one of the things which he has actually kind of revealed over the last while is that he really wants an agreement with Liv. Whereas we've known up to now that Rory has said, you know, actually stated the word hate with regard to the word live. But now he wants there to be an agreement because he realizes that if you're inside the tent and outside the tent, we know what that analogy is, Mm. uh, that you're better off being inside the tent and that, you know, golf will move on if they can bring, you know, these two big forces together in the game. So it will be interesting to see how that one pans out. Also be interesting to see how the new indoor studio innovation in golf pans out. That is, of course, the TGL event, Greg. Yeah, so TGL is going to be this uh, studio-based golf product which Rory and Tiger are going to be a big part of. It's going to run from January until March. It's going to have a, a prize fund of £21 million, which sounds like a lot, but when you consider that the Players' Championship all by itself in one week in March is worth £25 million. it's not that much, but it seems as though all of the players who were involved in, the, in these negotiations, the big business players, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons is there, the involved in this TGL product, so the owner of the uh, New York Mets as well. Um, it looks like an awful lot of heavy hitters are gathering for this. Uh, basically what TGL is, it's a golf simulator in a studio, mm. and Rory and Tiger will be hitting shots into the simulator, and there on we're going to find what, what this product is all about. But what is it all about, and why, what is it geared towards? And this is what Rory had to say to that question today. Younger people, hopefully, um, you know that's that's the future of our of our game is is trying to get the the younger generations involved and and trying to have them somehow relate to our game in some way. Um, so yeah, I just just a different demographic trying to um, put golf on a slightly different platform, and um, you know if we can increase the interest in the game from that younger demog- demographic, then. Uh, Hopefully golf doesn't look like what we're doing at TGL 50 years from now because it, it is a game to be played outdoors and on golf courses and in the fresh air. But um, I think there's a place for it to 
at least get people excited about maybe watching a different version of the game that they can relate to and, and if that gets I guess gets their foot in the door in some way um, then that's a really good thing not quite virtual golf, but some make of it is what it basically is. And uh, Greg, does at it least Royal McIlroy, Ruby, does it? Yeah, really up, really up my street. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, I'm with least, you. I'm with you, right behind you go, on that walk go, up that go, street. Yeah, good, good. I think what is it? A Monday night product for people to sit down and watch. I know where that's leading. Um, <laughs> It'll be legal in Ireland shortly, uh, but at least he's playing real golf this weekend. Yeah, he's, he's playing real golf this weekend um, in the DP World Tour Championship. And this is a, a golf course that he absolutely loves. Um, and I think, you know, he, he wants to end the season on, on, a, on a win. It will be his third win of the season. I think he's got a great chance of winning. And he himself really enjoys the fact that he's won this European Order of Merit title for a fifth time. He's only one behind Seve in that list. He's only two, three behind Colin Montgomery. And this is what he had to say about, you know, being happy to have won the Order of Merit even before the Tour Championship this week. Someone had told 18-year-old Rory when I was, you know, making my professional debut in 2007 that I, you know, would have won five Order of Merits up until this point. I, I wouldn't have believed them. So, um, yeah, really, really cool. Uh, you know, I certainly don't take it for granted. And, um, you know, it, it shows the consistency that, I've played with over the last few years that, you know, even though I feel like I've, I've had a good year, I don't feel like I've had a great year, but, um, you know, I can still, you know, go ahead and, um, you know, achieve things like this. Okay, let's look forward to Greg. We've less than 30 seconds left, but I do want to pick your brain on the tour school, which concludes tomorrow, because there's one Irishman in with a chance for a tour card. Yeah, there were six uh, five days ago, and after the fifth round today, Jonathan Caldwell birdied the final two hole. He's a veteran, John- Jonathan Caldwell, and it's just an indicator of how two careers have diverged over the years. In 2007, he was Rory McIlroy's partner in the Walker Cup at Royal County Down. They were both on similar trajectories. And here's Johnny trying to get his card yet again, trying to regain it. And obviously, Rory is the world number two and the winner of the Order of Merit on the DP World Tour. And Johnny Caldwell, with that round of 70 today, he's on 12 under par. He's tied for 24th place. And the top 25 and ties will get their cards tomorrow. And Johnny Caldwell is fighting for his job tomorrow. OK, Greg Allen, good stuff. Hope it goes well for Johnny Caldwell. Greg Allen, thanks a million as well. Thanks to John Farrell, our producer, Laura Lee Davis, was our BCO. Myself and Jane St. Dawson are signing off. Better the Silva's up next.